Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Let's take our Bibles today and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 11 through 14, and then chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 this morning as we start a new series called Next Steps. Next Steps. And uh, why do I need spiritual disciplines in my life? We've been studying Matthew 24 and 25 for the last several months, and uh, about 10 weeks worth of messages on that topic. And uh, we're going to kind of stray away from that for a little bit here. We might get back into it at the beginning of next year a little bit. But I want to get away from that right now as we transition into the holiday season. And um, I've been getting the question this about that series a lot. So what? If the end times are coming, what should we be doing? What should, are some of the things that we should be doing right now? What are the next steps, if you will, in Christianity for me? And what spiritual disciplines do I need in order to grow in my faith? And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit in the next couple weeks here as the Lord gives us opportunity. As you're turning your Bible to Hebrews 5, I want to state that one of the goals of the church is that we should grow in number. Now, this isn't just so we can feel better about ourselves, but that Jesus actually commanded us to grow. He expects us to grow. Matter of fact, before Jesus left, he left with his followers this message. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. So, we know that passage to be called what? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Jesus wants us to be on co-mission with him together. But if it's just about moving people forward from unchurched to church, well, there's a whole lot of ways that we can go about doing that. And I want to list just a couple of ways that we could go uh, get people into church. What are top five easier ways to get people into church? Well, I think the number five way is to offer free benefits. Free stuff, right? Everybody likes free. Free money. I'll pay you $20 to be in church next Sunday. Everybody who comes in attendance will get $20. You know what? Consumer mentality, right? Uh, if we offered free pizza and free beer in a church service, I bet a lot of people would come. Just saying. Not saying we will. Just saying we could. We offer free coffee in the lobby. Oh, wait. We actually do that one. Do people come to church because of that? Not really. We could offer free stuff, but that's the only reason they're coming is to what? Consume or to take for their own benefit. Uh, we could move along to number four. We could give major guilt trips on people. God loves you if you're in church. If you're going to be holy, then you need to be there Sunday. We'll see you in church, right? Because God loves an obedient child. We could put major guilt trips on people, and we could be insincere in our desire for them to come to church. We could be even sincere and still put a major guilt trip on. God loves you if you're in church. No, God loves you anyway, right? Agape love means he loved you. While we were yet in the act of sinning against him, God loved us. He loved us enough to send his son, did he not? So God's love is not tied to our performance. God's love is unconditional. Number three, let's keep moving here for time's sake, mass kidnappings. Wouldn't that be fun? Let's all go down to a prison. Let's get people in a captive environment where they can't escape, and uh, we're going to share the gospel with them, and they're just kind of stuck there. So that would be a great way to do it. Uh, number two, we can hold ourselves a service at U.S. Bank Stadium uh, during a Vikings game Sunday 1 p.m., and we'd have a ton of people in attendance. I don't think any of them there would hear about Jesus, but hey, we would get a big crowd, right? That's what Jesus wants, after all, is a big crowd. No, that's not what he wants. Or we could do something really insane and go viral on YouTube, do something so outlandish that uh, it gets a million views and then people are going to like us, right? No. They watch us for that one thing and then they never look at you again. So there are all kinds of ways that we could get people to come to church. By the way, we've seen pastors zip line into services. We've seen water slides. We've heard all these kind of crazy things, people paying people to come to church. But that's not what Jesus Christ once of his church, nor what he intended. We all know someone who happened uh, 
to be involved in church at one time and slowly drifted away. Or maybe they've radically shifted in what they believe and they turned away from God in a very direct way. The number in church isn't what Jesus Christ is really interested in today as much as he is interested in the spiritual disciplines in our life that help us grow and walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. You see, it's great to be in church on Sunday, but if you don't live it Monday to Saturday, what good is it? Your faith is in vain, the Bible tells us. We read in Amos 5 uh, earlier this morning in our corporate reading about how God was not interested in their sacrifice. He wasn't interested in their song. He wasn't interested in their offerings. He wasn't even interested in what they had to offer him until they were surrendered to him and to his will. Amos chapter 5. Every spring we see a push for Easter attendance. And here at Christmas we see a push for attendance to church. And we get a bunch of people to come to one service or two services once a year. And then we never see them again because we're trying to get them to church. We're not getting them to Jesus Christ. The hard truth is people do fall away. All of us know somebody who was once on fire for the Lord who's not walking with him today. How did that happen? They didn't wake up one day and decide on November 13, 2022, I'm going to walk away from Jesus. They didn't do that, but it was a slow, incremental fall away. Pastors are not immune to this, are not immune to this either, uh, except we have one added thing. We somehow have to get it all worked out by Sunday the next week so we can stand in front of everybody and tell them what they need to do. So this morning, I want us to understand what Jesus is calling us to. You see, Jesus is calling us. He's always called people, people to a higher standard, but he never condemned them when they fall short. We're, we're wanting to talk about how to actually grow for Jesus Christ, but not to condemn you for what you're not doing, but encourage you to do what Jesus wants you to do. He always called people to a higher standard. He was the ultimate encourager. He was always cheering people on. He was always saying, get back up. Get back in the fight. I don't, I, don't, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Remember the woman taking an adultery in the act? The woman, where are that accusers? Nor do I accuse you. Go and sin no more, he said. Jesus was the ultimate encourager. He really was the ultimate encourager. He was always cheering people on. Get back up. Let's try it again. I believe in you. That's why people were constantly flocking to him. Those who felt the least worthy and, and most rejected in the world felt the most loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. It's really encouraging to know that the Bible characters of the Bible struggled the same way that we do, had the same struggles we did. They were prone to falling away. And in Hebrews chapter 5, we're told that the Hebrew children were starting to doubt. They were starting to fall away. And it seemed like everybody was falling away and that the spiritual temperature of the church was already fading in the first generation of the church. Got a question for you here this morning. What if the church doubled in size and all the people had the same passion for moving forward in spiritual maturity as you do? Would that be a good thing? If the entire church was growing just like you and your zeal and passion for the church to grow and your zeal and passion for study of scripture and your zeal and passion for discipleship and outreach, if that was the zeal of the entire church, what would the church be like this morning? Let me tell you what the church was like in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read it together here. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, and chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is but a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In chapter 6, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works towards God, dead works and faith towards God, verse 2, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What's the problem going on here? What, what, what is, 
I believe it's Paul that writes the book of Hebrews. What is Paul saying here to the Hebrew children? And what is the problem? The problem is, the problem is that they no longer even are trying to understand spiritual things. They got their salvation and they're happy with that. They're good with that. They're, they're content with their salvation. And they're okay. They're just waiting for the rapture now. They're waiting for Jesus to return. There's no need to go on growing anymore. And you know what? We need to understand that God has not called us to that. We are called to understand. We are told that we are to grow in spiritual things. So what is the problem? These people still need the elementary truths of the gospel when God wants them to be mature and take on bigger things. So what is the, what is the Hebrew author actually saying here? He's saying something like this. You should be off the bottle by now and eating steak. You need to grow up spiritually every time somebody offends you in the slightest of ways and you get hurt. So you take it personally or you attack them back. Anytime the pastor challenges you to do something outside your comfort zone, you ignore it. You disagree with him. You debate it. You freak out every time you have to wait on somebody an extra minute or two or somebody does you wrong, you flip out about it. You might be sitting here thinking, hey, you just described my neighbor. No, I've described each one of us when in left to our natural selves, this is how we act out. If we're not intentional in growing spiritually mature, then over time we will drift from God. It's not that we purposely walk away from God. You just go complacent to the point where the Hebrew author says, you're not even acquainted with righteousness. How did I get here? How did I drift so far from God? Well, let's take a look at what Hebrews tells us is the way to fix that. Now, I want us to understand something as we get in here because I think it will have a huge impact on us personally and a huge impact on us as a church. Let's read Hebrews 6.1 here again, and I want to give to you the first point. Understand this. God wants you to grow in spiritual maturity. God wants you specifically to grow in spiritual maturity. Look at Hebrews 6.1 again. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to what? Maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance and dead works and faith towards God. How many people want to mature? You say, yeah, I want to mature. I want to grow. How mature does God want you to grow? More. It's the same answer that you want for yourself and for your children. How mature do you want your children to be? And how mature do you want to be? You want to be more mature than you were before. And you know what? That's what the Bible's teaching here. We need to be growing in our spiritual walk. We all want the end result. We want to be mature. We want to be maturing. We want to be the person that's giving the wisdom, not the one having to receive the wisdom. We want deep faith. We don't want to get ticked off at the drop of a hat. We don't want to be stressed out by what's going on with the small stuff. We don't want to be devastated every time someone critiques us or shares something negative about us. You know what? I find my worth in Jesus Christ, not in other people's opinions. In the end, the only person's opinion that's going to matter when it comes to my faith, my good works, my, my service for him, is Jesus Christ. I Granted, I, I love to hear the opinions people have about ministry and stuff like that. But in the end, it only matters what the guy on the middle cross says. The first thing we need to know is that all the stuff we want for our own lives, God wants for us too. God wants the same thing. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to stop trying and we need, or we need to stop trying and start training. We need to stop trying and start training. Check out what Hebrews has to say here in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Do you know what that verse just said? The passage says they train themselves. They were responsible for training themselves. Look at it again. It's not God. It's not their pastor, not their parents, not their smallest group leader, not their Sunday school teacher, not their discipler, but themselves. For those who have their, their powers of discernment trained, they train themselves by constant practice to distinguish two things, good from evil. Now, I want to be clear. Salvation is the work of God. 
Jesus Christ did all the work for us on the cross. He despised the shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ does all the work in salvation. But when it comes to sanctification, we draw nigh to him because he draws nigh to us. So as we surrender ourselves, as we give ourselves, as we take the first step, Jesus reciprocates his step. When it comes to growing up in faith, we totally play an important role in this. Not a sole role, but an important role. It's kind of like a sailboat. You can have a sailboat out in the middle of the lake and you have your sails trimmed, but if there's no wind, you're not going anywhere. And that's the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. A motorboat, you have control of the motor. You determine how fast and when it's going to start. But in a sailboat, you're at the mercy of God. When the wind blows, you move. And if we don't have our sails trimmed and we're not ready for that, then we're going to miss out on the benefit of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has for us in our life. I want to show you some passages here of Scripture that talk about what the Bible says we're to do in training ourselves. What does the Bible have to say when it says to train ourselves? Because this isn't just one verse in the Bible that says this here in Hebrews. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 the Bible talks about every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. Notice what it says. The athlete exercises what? Self-control. He does the work. He's doing it. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness goes on to say, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Who are you to train? Train yourself, it said in verse 7. Train yourself in godliness because it's of value in every way. I love what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He says, have nothing to do with silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. You see, the Bible's clear. There is an expectation that we are growing in our faith. The Bible says that we are in the process of growing and we need to grow our faith ourselves as well as waiting on God to help us with that. Just like that sailboat, we trim our sails, we put the boat where it needs to be and God brings the wind to drive us to where he wants us to go. Training methods used to grow in your faith are called spiritual disciplines. These are valuable because they enable us to do what we do with, not with willpower alone, but with the Spirit of God. For example, this one's like reading the Bible. Prayer. Enable God to train us to exude the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives so that we produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. A disciplined person is not somebody who exercises a lot of discipline, but a disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. Spiritually speaking, the goal is not to calculate how many verses we read or how much time we pray, but to use Bible and prayer as opportunities for God to speak to us and grow us up in him. A disciplined lover of Jesus Christ is someone who discerns when laughter and gentleness Silence, healing words are called for, and they offer it promptly and effectively and lovingly for God. So here's a couple of methods for training in any discipline. Number, the first thing that we need to do is we need to get a workout plan. We, we need to get a plan. But before we get a plan, we have to decide that we're going to train, right? So these two kind of go together. You have to decide you're going to train. You can't drift into spiritual workout, but then you need to get a workout plan. You need some goals. The physical training industry is a billion-dollar business, and the number one thing they will give you is a schedule. When to be there, what you're going to do, what kind of exercise you're going to do on each day. So do you have a specific goal that you want to accomplish spiritually speaking as well? We need to have a workout plan. Think about this. If you have a spouse or a good friend and you just stop communicating one day, what would it do to your relationship? 
Would it kill it? It wouldn't matter if you were still nice to each other or even if you had short conversations one day a week or maybe just on the weekends. Communication is vital to any relationship. And if you never talk to each other, people would notice. People would see that you two, to see you two and think that there was something seriously messed up in your relationship. And the same is true with God. God wants us to be growing spiritually mature in ways that are specific to you. While the Bible and prayer are for everyone, there are tons of other spiritual disciplines that we need to try. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's silence, not speaking when other people reply. Maybe it's listening more and speaking less. Maybe it's joy, having joy in your life and exuding joy to others. Spiritual discipline is not always needing to have the last word. Not only do you need a schedule, but you also need some workout buddies. You also need some workout buddies. You're not going to do it without accountability. We often use this word in spirituality, accountability, right? Christianity was never meant to be an individual experience. We are pursuing God alongside of others and our ability to grow up this way. That is the point of the church, folk, is that we are running together the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're doing this together. And when we forsake the assembly together of ourselves, we're robbing others of the resources they need to run their race because you encourage them. And then finally, we need to take the first step. We need to take the first step. We actually got to do it. We can't just talk about it. Good news is, is the good news. It's the gospel. And the gospel is contagious. And when you take the first step, it always brings more faith. That's why Jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. When you take a step of faith, it doesn't say the size of a mustard seed very long. It begins to grow. And I want to challenge you this morning to take that first step. Take the step of faith before you leave the room today. Here are a few things uh, that maybe there'll be first steps for you. Maybe this morning salvation is a first step for you. Maybe, maybe you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been doing life alone. You've been trying to do it in your own power, and it's not working. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need a Savior. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. He did the work for us. He did the work on Calvary. He was the one who took our sin for us. Maybe we need to be baptized. Maybe we never follow the Lord and believers' baptism and publicly declare to everybody of our public ministry for Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the next step. You need to join the church so you can serve in the church and be part of the ministry of the church here in Sauk Center specifically. Maybe you need to start reading the Bible on your own. Maybe you need to take that first step and take a... a several minutes a day and spend in prayer. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the disciplines of having a quiet time with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to invite a friend to church. Maybe you need to join a discipleship group. But all of us need to take the final step, move from got to to get to. From got to to get to. Listen to what the Bible has to say here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame, endured the cross, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, the one who suffers such contradiction of sinners against himself, such hostility of sinners against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I just want to close with this. Our ultimate inspiration has to be Jesus Christ. It has to be Jesus Christ. It's all about him. We need to stop trying and start training. We need to get these words out of our vocabulary. I don't have to do something. I get to do it. I get to serve Jesus. I get to share the gospel. I get to read my Bible. I get to pray. I get to shows gratitude and appreciation. I have to shows obligation. When we move from I get to serve the Lord, I get to love the Lord, I get to sing the Lord praises and worship to him, friends, that begins to change everything in our lives. That changes everything. So stop trying and start training. Stop trying and start training. That's what Jesus Christ wants us to do in our next step. 
Will you allow God to move you in your pursuit of him towards something that you, instead of you having to do, you get to do this week? Maybe start that spiritual discipline. Maybe start that prayer. Maybe do that devotion in the morning. Maybe it's sharing the gospel or inviting somebody to church. Whatever it is, rather than having to do it, what happens if we get to do it? We get to serve the Lord because he is worthy to be served and worthy to be praised. So let's stop trying and start training for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, use this message the way that only you can. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this this morning. And Lord, may we move from we have to to we get to. May we start to decide to train. And may we move forward for you in your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you.